the tax collector and the Pharisee in this story um, couldn't be further apart. And you get the impression how Jesus tells the parable. They are pretty far apart in the church. One's over in this corner, one's over in that corner. The tax collector, uh, it, we really probably shouldn't think of like an IRS person or, or an accountant when we hear the tax collector. The, the tax collector, um, the taxes were really the spoils of war uh, for the Roman government. You know, Rome conquered countries to get their wealth, to get their riches, so that they could be shipped to Rome to enhance Rome and make Rome the great world power that it was. And, and Rome got these spoils of war by engaging local people from the particular country that was conquered to collect the spoils of war. So in Israel, they would get a Jew to do this. In another country, they, in England, they would get um, a, a, a Briton to do it. So they would get a native person and say to them, this is what we need. This is the spoils of war uh, that we need. Now anything you collect above that is yours. We don't care. These taxes would be often collected at the point of a sword, the Roman sword. So the tax collector would be seen as a traitor and a turncoat working for the occupying army and doing it by force. What kind of person would do this? Betray his country to make himself rich? Well, a greedy person would do that. You know, didn't care what the people thought as long as he got his money. The people, as soon as Jesus would have mentioned tax collector in this parable, the people would have known this is the bad person. This is the person we boo. The Pharisee was also in the synagogue that day. The Pharisees would have been working for the good of Israel in the midst of this occupying army. They would be trying to keep national identity and integrity. They would have been trying to maintain integrity of worship. They would be trying to maintain the Jewish way of life. They would have been observant of the law as, as the Jewish way of life. They would have been generous. They would have observed the holy days. They would have prayed and fasted. They would have given tithes, not only to the temple, but to the widows and orphans and sojourners. These were the good guys. These were the guys that the people would have cheered when Jesus told the parable. Now, just as I've done right now, it's easy to, to focus on the, the differences of these two men. I want to focus on some of their commonalities. As the parable opens, each person is trying to be his own savior without God. Trying to save themselves, trying to get ahead, trying to survive, trying to keep their head above water, trying to fill the emptiness that they feel. Now, one can be one's own savior without God in one of two ways. 
One way is to be very bad. This is the tax collector. One can save oneself by being in league with the enemy. One can save oneself by lying. You know, you catch me in an untruth. Well, I'll just lie my way out of it. One can save oneself by cheating and cutting corners, by conniving, by manipulating, by getting people in his debt, by keeping accounts. You owe me. One way to save myself is by bad behavior. Second way to save myself is by good behavior, very good behavior, by praying all the time, by fasting all the time, by doing good deeds, by helping people across the street, you know, um, by being financially generous. And this is the Pharisee. The problem with the Pharisee, Jesus points out, is look at his heart. Look at his heart. He looks down on other people. He disrespects them. His heart is not in his generosity. His spirit is not in his generosity. He too keeps accounts of how good he's been and how people owe him. He's always comparing himself to others. He is not generous in his heart. And he's not generous toward others. Now what ails both of these men can be described in a variety of ways. We can say that they're both empty. Later, the tax collector acknowledges that he's empty. We can say that they're both sinners. One for being so bad and one for being so arrogant and trying to exalt himself at others' expenses. We can say that they're spiritually sick and they need help. Neither one strikes me as very happy. Now, often in the Gospels, Jesus uses a medical analogy. Those who are healthy have no need of a physician. Only those who are sick. And Jesus says, And I came not for the healthy, not for the righteous, not for the exalted, but for the sick, for the empty. Now the Pharisee denies that he's sick. You listen to his prayer, and his prayer is so much longer than the tax collector's prayer because he has to let God know how good he is. And he has to let other people in the church know how good he is. He's praying this out loud. And he doesn't talk about what God has done for him. 
he talks about what he has done for God and how God should thank him. He's sick, but he doesn't know it. And so he doesn't think he needs the great healer. The tax collector has this aha moment. He gets it. In the midst of all his being bad, he finally gets it. I'm sick. I'm empty. I need help and I can't fix it. God, I need your grace. I need your generosity. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the word he uses for mercy is a word that's related to God, I need you to sacrifice to heal me. And this is where the sacrifice of Christ comes in. God, I need you to fix it. I need Christ's generosity. I need Christ's grace. And often generosity and grace are the same thing. Both of these men get what they asked for. The tax collector asks for mercy and he gets it. I mean, Jesus says that. He went home justified. He went home saved. He went home healed. The Pharisee gets what he asked for. He doesn't ask for anything. He asks for nothing and he gets nothing. It's not that God doesn't want to give him anything. It's that he thinks God has nothing to give him. Both men get what they ask for. Now, particularly in Luke, Jesus, um, in his parables, often has two people in it. One a good guy and one a bad guy. The famous parable of the good guy and the bad guy is the prodigal son. Where the prodigal son is the bad guy, but he has this aha moment. And he comes home and says to the father, I need your help. I need you to fix it. I've really made a mess of it and I can't get out of it. And I need your sacrificial love. I need your generosity. The older son, who stays at home and does all the good deeds, really doesn't need the father. He too can list all of his goodness and the Father should be thankful to him. Jesus always sides with whom we would call the bad guy. Because the bad guy is the one that knows he needs God's generous grace. And a question in these kind of parables is how did they live ever after? Did the prodigal son really clean up his act and did he go the next day after the big party? Did he live a generous life? 
And in this parable, after the tax collector goes home justified, did he change his way? Once he's forgiven, does he change his life? Or does he just go on messing things up? Does he go on as a tax collector, being bad? Well, a clue to this is in the next chapter in Luke's Gospel, Luke tells the story of Zacchaeus, a real-life tax collector, a real-life bad guy. And he wants God's sacrificial grace. He wants God's generosity. And he invites Jesus to his home. He shows generosity to Jesus. And Jesus accepts him. And Zacchaeus says, because salvation has come to me, I will give half of what I have to the poor. That was not required. And then he says, if I have defrauded anybody, and you know he did, I will give four times the repayment. The law required two times. Because Christ has shown him extravagant generosity, he shows extravagant generosity. And his generosity is not just in terms of money. It's in terms of hospitality. He invites Jesus and all of those present to his house. He becomes generous like God and generous like Christ. I know when you hear the word generosity, you think money. But generosity is pervasive. And radical generosity is hospitality, inviting people over. It's generosity of relationship. It's generosity of power. It is generosity of wealth. And it's generosity of minister, ministry. One who is generous is generous in all things. I never get the feeling that the tax collector in the beginning and certainly the Pharisee are happy people. But I get the feeling when I read about Zacchaeus that he is happy. He is happy enough to be generous. His acceptance of God's grace has made him happy and generous. <clears throat> this week I heard the story of a, of a woman in our church whose daughter <clears throat> learned that she was pregnant. And because of various things in our government and her employment, um, found herself with no health insurance. But also wanting to go to a doctor to get the appropriate test for the beginning of her pregnancy to make sure everything was going well. <clears throat> and the doctor's appointment without health insurance would be over six hundred dollars. 
So um, our church member said, I gave her the money. And I said, why'd you do that? And she said, because I was happy for her. I was happy for her. She gave because she was happy. And I got to thinking how often I'm not generous with my time or my space or my relationships or my money because I'm not happy enough. I want to be happy enough to be generous. This sermon kicks off a sermon series that leads into the comprehensive campaign, which is about our generosity. And it's based on Tim Keller's series, Generosity, Responding to God's Radical Grace in Community. Grace is God's generosity that is given us. And our response to that grace is to be radically generous in all aspects of our lives. To be happy enough to be generous in all aspects. If you have any takeaway from today's sermon, It's may we be happy enough in God's grace to be generous in all things. May it be so. Amen.